you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16, that will be our text for today. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that, there, so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, have I, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahaj Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is a interesting passage, a, a somewhat, perhaps even we might call it a difficult passage to put within the story in the context of the covenants uh, that are given here or the covenant that has been enacted in verse 15. Yet nonetheless, it lays here, right here, in between this covenant and the covenant of circumcision, we have this issue with Hagar. Hagar, the slave, the Egyptian slave, servant that is there. We could break this down into three parts, which we will. We would call the first three verses the solution to, Sarai's solution to a problem. We could say verses four through six, we would maybe give it the heading of uh, difficult family matters. And then verses 7 through 14, we would call it God who sees. With the finality being 15 and 16, the birth of Ishmael. 
fascinatingly enough, at least I find it to be so, is that when you are dealing with long narrative sections of scripture, one of the best ways to find out what is actually happening or what is important about being said is to look for the conversations that are given in these passages. And there are a number of conversations that are here. For example, you have a conversation, verse 2, between Sarai and Abram. In verse 5, another conversation between Sarai and Abram. And then verse 6, Abram to Sarai. And then verse 8, the angel to Hagar, with also Hagar to the angel. And then 9, 10, and 11 through 12, or is the angel speaking to Sarai. And then verse 13, a statement of Sarai to Yahweh that we have. The vast majority of the words spoken in these statements are from the angel to Sarai. Or excuse me, the angel, I said the angel to Sarai, angel to Hagar. Uh, sorry about that. The angel to Hagar is what all those passages are between 8 and 12 is what we have there. So as we work through this passage to see what is being spoken about, we will take the first three there where Sarai, as I had read, has we have the promise that has been given to Abram, the promise that has been laid forth to Abram that he would have many, many descendants. But Sarai is barren. She cannot have children. And she says in verse 2 there, now the Lord has prevented I almost, when I read this, it feels like this is God's fault that I cannot have children. He's the one that is preventing us from having children. He has promised all these descendants. Uh, This is an insurmountable problem in her mind. And she says, so please go into my maid. Now, I want to remind you, if we just turn back one chapter in 15... And if you look at 15.2, Abram said a very similar thing. He said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? He thought the solution was in a servant from a pagan land. His wife thinks the exact same thing. We know that they talk because they're husband and wife. How is it possible that she is again going down the same pathway that the Lord himself prevented him from going down? Yet here it is. Instead of Eleazar and Abram, now we have Hagar and Sarai. This is the solution to the problem. The Lord promised you children. I can't give them to you. My maid can bear those children for you. Now, this is fully in line with what we would refer to or what is referred to as the Code of Hammurabi from back in this time. The idea that if the, if the wife was unable to bear children, that the, that the servant could bear children for the wife, and those children then would be of the wife. They'd be considered of the wife. Okay? It isn't that Abram suggested this. We see that it's fully from Sarah. We also don't see a conversation here. This is the first conversation. 
we don't see a conversation with Yahweh, with the Lord. She says, the Lord has prevented, Yahweh has prevented me from bearing children. Please go to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And what does it say there? There's a key little phrase at the end of verse 2. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. He has just heard from the Lord in verse 15. And doesn't this phrase sound remarkably similar to Adam listening to Eve? Uh, we can see in our own lives that problems result when we don't listen to the Lord's instructions. Right? We go headlong into what we think the solution is without finding the confirmation uh, through, our, through the Scripture, through prayer, right? Uh, we feel the pressure of something that has a decision has to be made rather than waiting on the Lord. We just rush headlong into it because it, it, it seems like it's right. I mean, this seems like a solution. People were doing this at this time. But the passage does say in verse 2, and Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Aren't specifically, primarily given inerrant and infallible word of God says that Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. It is important that we read that. He didn't listen to the voice of God. He listened to the voice of his wife. Now, this doesn't mean that it's bad to listen to the voice of your wife. But, I mean, there's a whole covenant ceremony that just occurred. And you might think at that point in time, the things that God has saying when he took Abram out and showed him the stars in the sky, that he showed God, that God showed him his creation, what he has done, that Abram was blessed by Melchizedek, that maybe at some point in this passage, it might have been better to maybe consult with God just for a moment, just for a little confirmation. Just, I just want to, before I do this thing, because you told me Eleazar wasn't going to be my heir. So maybe how is it that my heir will come from the womb of a servant from Egypt, from Canaan? But he did. He listened to the voice of his wife. In verse 3 it says, Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife, giving her over to bear children for him. Giving him over to have, uh, to bring about that covenant promise. This is the way we're going to do things, right? This is the solution. This is the man-centered solution to the problem. We haven't sought God's solution to the problem. But we saw this is the way we're going to do this. And he agreed. So what happens in four? Now, we, now we're getting into these family matters, or difficult family matters, because we're confusing things. Add another person to the relationship between a man and a woman, and you're going to have problems. And this is what we're going to have here. 
Because I'm sure these words, we can assume that the words of the Lord that had, he had spoken to Abram were no longer hidden amongst the people or the tribe of Abram. They would have known that he had spoken to the Lord, that he had that the Lord had promised us, but he would have he would have said the Lord has promised us all this land out here. So these conversations would have been known. He's promised me, even though we're barren right at the moment, before the Hagar problem, right? He would have they would have known these things. And I say that because when we come into verse four, when we come into verse four. And it says, and he went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Sarai was despised by Hagar. Well, I think it's pretty easy to see why or how this happens. Because Sarai couldn't have children, and now all of a sudden, Hagar is pregnant with Abram's child. I'm the one through which these promises of God are coming through. I'm the one who is going to be the mother of these descendants. Right? Jealousy, jealousy and arrogance combine here to create a very volatile situation in the household of Abram. Don't forget, Abram listened to his wife, didn't seek the counsel of God. Abram listened to his wife, didn't seek God's counsel in these very important things that are coming about. And so verse 5, as we continue in difficult family matters, verse 5, And Sarai said to Abram, Now, Catch these words, okay? We want to remember that this was her idea, okay? We want to, we want to keep that. We want to hold that. We, we don't want to lose sight of that. And it says, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Abram, now it's kind of your fault now that you did this. You agreed to this. You listened to me. Right? And so often in our lives we do this. Right? We kind of push responsibility off somewhere else. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. It was because of something else that happened. Now, this isn't the main part of the lesson here, and that isn't the main part of this passage either. But we do see little insights into family relationships and personal relationships that are here. Because she is despising me, I'm coming to you. I need judgment. Who is... In reality, who is the wife here? Who is the one that will be the mother of the promised descendants? She goes to her husband for this decision. This is another conversation that is there, and now Abram will speak. 
He says in verse 6, But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So she has come to her husband to resolve this situation. Her husband, who is to be the father of nations, and he defers the, the decision back to her. Okay? I'm not really, I'm not, uh, I'm not, okay, having made many bad decisions in my life, I can recognize bad ones here, right? And then, I mean, this is just, I, you, you have the, you have passive aggressive behavior, you have blame shifting, you have all sorts of things going on when people got exactly what they wanted. They conceived of a plan. They went through with the plan. The plan worked exactly as they thought it was going to work. And now they're not happy with the results. All because there was no consultation with the Lord. This is the what he said to do. They didn't ask him how this was to be. So Abram blames you. He says, no, it's your problem. I've got the, the, the child is going to be born. This is your problem, how you deal with her. And what happens? So Sarai treated her harshly. How that harshly word, this uh, from the Hebrew, it's ona, is what it is, or onama is what it is. Uh, treated her harshly. And that word is important because it's going to come up one more time. Uh, Sarai treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. Uh, the, 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 the wooden reading would be, would, it says, fled from the face of her, uh, would be the idea that she can no longer be in front of her, that she is no longer, there is no favor for her in front of Sarai. So she flees out in a way uh, beyond, uh, beyond her influence is what happens. And this is what she does. So we've, the, the problematic Sarai's solution, 1 through 3. Difficult family matters in verses 4 through 6. Now we have the fleeing servant that is carrying the child of Abram. And we'll call this God who sees. We're here. It says the angel, that's Malek, the angel, messenger of the Lord, of Yahweh, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Shur is, is Hebrew for wall. Uh, this is probably indicative that this is near or inside the border of Egypt, is how far she's made herself, how far she's come. The distance that she's traveled from, from their presence. So now we're going to have another conversation. Remember, conversations are important in narratives, right? And the angel, he, the messenger, said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? Now, I am certain he knows exactly where she's come from and where she's heading to. But it's important that she verbalize what is happening here. And she says to him, another conversation, 
I am fleeing from the presence, from in front of, from the acceptance of my mistress, Sarah. I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Verse 9. And the angel, the messenger of the Lord, said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. I couldn't help but read that and think of Philemon. Right, this is what's told in Philemon too. Return to your master. Return to the one who is your owner and submit yourself to them. Submit yourself to them. That submit is the same word for harshly that we read in verse 6. Ona or onama. It's the same word. Submit yourself under their authority. Now, I don't know at the moment what Hagar was thinking. But certainly if you're running from a bad situation, that generally being told to return to that bad situation isn't what you necessarily want to hear. Yet this is what the divine messenger, the angel, said to her. Now, he doesn't say that solely. He continues in our verse. He says, moreover, in verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. I will greatly multiply your descendants so they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord, again, another conversation, said to her, Further, behold, you are with child. You will bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Ishmael translates to God hears. God hears. Right? God hears. That's a, God has heard of your affliction. God has heard of your affliction, Hagar. He is blessing you with many descendants. You are to return and submit yourself under Sarai, your mistress. But know this in verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. It might say a wild ass of a man in your, in your text probably. If it's King James, I think it's ass that it says. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in the east of all his brothers. Now, a, a number of things in there. Uh, we know that the, or we know that this is typically where uh, you get the, uh, and you would even see in this the Muslim religion, right? That you would find that this is where the, they would claim the birth of that is, is from Ishmael. Uh, we know that we find the Arab, uh, all, all the Arab nations, the Arab ethnicity comes in through this, is what we find. Interestingly enough, notice how she has fled east and he will live in the east. And remember what I said a couple weeks ago about the east. The east is typically reserved for those things that are bad or evil or of the curse. When we find that stuff in scripture, not all the time. You know, we can't, we can't broad base that. 
across. But a lot of the times, referring to the east is referring to the things that are not of God. Referring to something different. Notice how her, these descendants from this poor decision that has occurred will, will, will not be part of that blessing of nations that are given to the, descend, the true descendants of Abram. In fact, these are a curse against the nations that are a true descendants to those, the, the blessed one, the blessed nation of Abram. It says his hand will be against all of them. It will be turned beyond, against all those people. It will be turned against all those that are God's people. And we see that even in the world today. We see nations that rage against that of Christ's followers. We see that specifically nationally-wise. We see that in the Mideast. Israel does seem to be a little bit all by themselves over there. All considered uh, descendants of Abram. But nonetheless, the angel says that you will be blessed to go back. This is the blessing that you are getting. Not part of that covenant blessing that is being given to Abram. But this is occurring to you. It says in verse 13 that she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Now it's important in there because it's going to come up next. It says El Roy is what that says in the Hebrew there. God who sees El Roy, God who sees, for she said, have I even remained alive after seeing him in verse 14? Therefore, the well that was there on the road to Shur by the wellspring was called Ber Lahay Roy. Right? So you're pulling that El Roy, God who sees. Behold, it's between Katesh and Bered. That means Ber Lahay Roy, well of the living one seeing me. Well of the living one seeing me. So God has seen her in her affliction. Right? This is all leading to a point that we're going to get to here shortly. God has seen her in her affliction. I want to read 15 and 16, and then we're going to take a little, little journey into the scripture itself, a little deeper on. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. So Abram listened to God's voice that came to Hagar. Don't, don't miss that. He had listened to his wife's voice before, who got us into the situation. And now he's listening to the voice that the Lord spoke to Hagar to name the son Ishmael. And it appears in verse 16, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now I want us to think and I want us to camp out on here because the name of this, the, the, the title I put on this uh, sermon was Perfect Vision. Because God sees everything that is occurring. There is nothing outside of God's purview, which certainly brings us to the thought of Psalm chapter 139. If you turn to Psalm 139 for the moment.
and we'll take a little tour in Psalm 139, only up to verse 12. But I encourage you to read the entirety of Psalm 139. Now remember, the messengers of the Lord, the angel came to Hagar and spoke the words of the Lord to Hagar. They saw, seen from heaven, what was happening. How she was mistreated, well, excuse me, how she mistreated her her mistress and then how she was mistreated because of that and how she ran bearing a child of Abram. And it says in verse 1, as we consider that, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. We do not know Hagar's thoughts about the Lord, about Yahweh, prior to this incident. But we can certainly assume that her thoughts were much changed after that incident, after the encounter by the well at Bear Lahoy Roy, where it was at. That it was seen what was happening and told what would happen that God did see where she was going and sent her back to where she came from. Verse 7 says in Psalm 139, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn... I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. This gives us the description of the God who Hagar encountered in her run into the wilderness or back to her homeland. He sees everything perfectly, understands everything perfectly, knows everything that is happening perfectly, and has ordained it all perfectly just the way it was. We cannot miss that in our Christian walk. Sometimes we too listen to voices that we shouldn't, or perhaps more often than not, we do. But we know that as Christ's followers, that God holds us firmly in his hand, that none can escape. While looking at this particular message and con contemplating Hagar and 
running away from the, in reality, Sarai, who was her master, was in a position that should have protected her. Abram also was over that household and was in a position that should have protected his wife and the servant rather than shirking the responsibility that was there. Yet God knew all these things that would happen in this event. He knew that she would run, and he sent his angel to minister to her at the well. And we learn about God there because she claims, I have lived after seeing the living God. I have lived after seeing the God who sees all. And she returns, which we'll find out next week, or as we found out here, but then we'll find out more next week, that she returns and the child is born, this Ishmael, the one whose name is God who hears. So now as we consider the conversations that we have, all the talk that the angel has given, uh, the the results of what uh, of this, as Sarai says, you are a God who sees. You are a God who sees. Even in times when you don't think that God knows what is going on in your life. He is a God who sees. Psalm 139 said that clearly. There is no place you can go to to escape from the God who sees. He is omnipotent and omnipresent. Even to the point in verse 8 where it says, if, you, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. You must remember that hell is not the absence of God. It's just the fact that God's grace is turned away. And his wrath is fully turned on. So which led me in thinking, there are a number of things we can talk about with regard to Hagar and Sarai that are perhaps better spoken about later on when we get Genesis. And I'll just drift over them just slightly for the moment. We see... Uh, we see much the, the difference between the promise of those are, that are enslaved to the earth and those who are found in God's grace in the story of Sarai and Hagar. Sarai being the one that represents those that are found in the grace of God, Hagar being the ones that are found those that are enslaved to the earth in the ways of the flesh. But I could not get away from the statement that God that Hagar says God is Elroy, the God who sees, the God who sees everything, who sees all that we're going through at this point in time, who not only sees us and what is happening up to the point that we perish of this earth, but bears us the whole way into heaven itself. He is a God who sees it all. Everything, every thought, every movement that you do. And this would naturally lead me to Matthew chapter 8. Because to not talk about Jesus 
would be to do damage to the pulpit. We proclaim Christ and Him crucified. We proclaim Christ and Him risen. For He is our blessing. And we'll see the God who sees in this verse, these verses here. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. We can stop there, and we can consider for a moment that he was asleep in the boat. We need to wake Jesus up because he doesn't even see what's happening. He does not see what is happening here to us. He's comfortably asleep during this storm. Jesus, do you even know what is occurring? And he does. 26, he said to them, why are you afraid? You men of little faith. Then he got up rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. We've said before from this pulpit, like glass. No waves, no wind. Jesus, do you care? Do you even see what is happening to us? Not to belabor the point, but when we speak about this particular part of Scripture, when we talk about the book of Mark, who is written to persecuted believers in Rome, who are being lit on fire and uh, killed in the games, torn apart by wild animals. Do you see what is happening to us, God? Or are you sitting somewhere up in a far room in your mansions and you don't even care? Isn't that the way we think? Can't you feel, don't you know the pain that I'm in? I need relief. Don't you know how this person harmed me and you don't even care? Don't you see how my mistress beat me and drove me out to my homeland? Do you even know? Are you even watching? Are you even at your duty? And that's wrong thinking by us because God does see it all and has ordained it all to come to pass. And when Jesus says... Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? And he rebukes the wind and the waves. In their statement, 27, that they were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? What kind of man? What is this man? This is a man unlike any other we have ever known or know of, that even the winds and the sea obey him, we find in the other, we find in Mark's gospel that they are terrified because of what Jesus has done. Yes, Jesus sees it all. The triune God sees everything that is happening in our lives. Saw everything that was occurring between Sarai and Hagar and the bad decisions that were ordained to come to pass. Sees everything that comes together there. 
that you are not without outside of God's purview of seeing exactly the affliction that is happening to you or the blessings that are happening to you. He sees everything and he says, yes, I care that you're perishing, but I have taken care of that all. You see, whereas Hagar gets the blessing of the children, the descendants from the bad decision-making that, that, that occurred there, we have a gr much, 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 much greater blessing. Not only are we now found in Christ the descendants of Abram, but if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we find these words. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's dive in around, oh, perhaps verse 7. In reality, in Ephesians chapter 1, you could pretty much drop in on pretty much any verse and be greatly edified and glorify God in reading it. But verse 7, in Him, in Jesus, so Elroy, God who sees, he sees you and everything that is occurring in your life, the, the good times and the bad. He sees it all, that, that God who sees, the seeing God, the living God who sees everything. He sees what is happening. He sees the struggles that you have. And, but even in the struggles, this, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood. We are fully redeemed through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses, the forgiveness of our sins, how we have sinned against others and have sinned against God. We have that forgiveness, right? According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us, we can't even grasp how great the grace was that God gives upon us, right? We will have an eternity to comprehend that. Remember, this is the salvation from 1 Peter 1, chapter 12, that the angels long to consider and look into and understand. That he has lavished that upon us. That he has piled that grace upon us. That he has piled that redemption upon us. Things that which, for again, I cannot stress it enough, for an eternity, we will be considering it and glorifying what God has done because there is no greater miracle in this world, in this universe, than God saving a sinner. The universe itself and the creation of all that pales in comparison to what was necessary for God to save a sinful man. Let alone to save sinners that are innumerable, that are saved that we will be, or that we are currently both brothers and sisters of, that we will see in heaven. This is the God who sees what is, not only does he see what is necessary, but does what is necessary to save sinners. And he has lavished that on us in all wisdom and insight. In all of her, not, not in human wisdom and insight, but in divine wisdom and insight, he has done this thing. So like Hagar at the well, at the road on Shur, at the wall, at that well, we now drink of that living water that is Jesus himself. Right? He sees it all and says, this life is but a mere vapor. 
Once you were hostile to me, now I've changed your heart. I've done it all for you. I see everything that is going on, and I have got you in this. None can escape from my grasp. Even through all the affliction that occurs in your life, because I am the God, the El Roy, the God who sees everything that is happening to you. And your hope is in me, a sure hope. It says in Colossians that he has taken all of our sins and had, they have been nailed to the cross. So whereas Hagar's blessing was the children, the descendants that she would have in that nation, we see that the God that we know, the God that sees, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that through the blood of Christ Jesus, that in all divine wisdom and insight, He has lavished upon us redemption and forgiveness. That knowing Him, that being found in Christ Jesus, that we ourselves will at one point in time find ourselves with our other brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven. And that we will spend an eternity considering and glorifying God for what He has done to save a sinner like me and you. So I want you to consider as we leave today this story of Hagar who met God, the messenger of God at the well that Bir Roy, the God, the living one who sees, that you would consider that God knows what is happening in your life, everything that is happening in your life. Not only should that drive us to towards increasingly living a life to glorify Him, but it also should give us great comfort that He is with us till the end of time to eternity. Let's bow our heads. God, we praise you in all that you have done. We, we, we seek to understand your ways. Uh, we look about and we see the evidence of your creation. We long to understand salvation and what it means. We long to Seek more to, to, to just bring it into our hearts so that we can give it away. We just want to tell people about how great you are and what you have done to be passionate about knowing you, God, about trusting in the work of Jesus and about having our spirits bent to the, to the desires of the Holy Spirit guiding us so that we don't run to the east, but we turn back towards you we repent and we believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.